0: All right, everybody. It is time for another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. But before we dive in to our awesome, awesome guest and conversation today, I want to remind you guys of two things. And the first one is that if you go to Crypto101insider.com, you can join our private community. Here's where we have our model portfolio and all of our top picks. We also have uh, Crypto 101 University. Uh, where we have hours and hours and hours of written and video content that explains blockchain and explains cryptocurrency in a very bite-sized and easy to understand way. Uh, And we have a weekly newsletter that goes out and quarterly state of crypto addresses that go out. There is just a ton of value packed into this every which way. So I want you guys first uh, to go to crypto101insider.com today uh, if you haven't already. I also want to remind you guys that Pizza Mind and I recently just finished a book. Uh, It took 11 months of our lives to write all right ladies and gentlemen boys and girls it is that dang time guys it is the crypto 101 podcast i'm your host bryce paul joined by my trusty my notorious compadre mr pizza mind uh and we're also joined today funny enough by another uh person who goes by a moniker another single name gentleman just like pizza Mind. before we introduce our special guest Pete, how we doing
1: I'm doing great over here. We finally have some relief here in Texas. Things are cooling off. We got the thunderstorms coming in. You sent all the heat uh, over
0: to California.
1: Yeah, it's your turn. So if we're turning Horrible. up the fire, uh, go ahead and bring it.
0: <laughs> I love it. Well, we're gonna be uh we're gonna spe- be speaking with the VP of Payments at a not so little company anymore called Fireblocks. I remember first starting to use Fireblocks when it was just uh You know, maybe ten or twenty people working at the company, and now it's uh, a unicorn, like a you know, a billion dollar company uh, in Tel Aviv, Israel, who is doing just about the best thing in terms of securing cryptocurrency. uh, You know, through wallets, multi uh, multi party computation. Uh, This is a a fantastic company that has my full support, my full endorsement. Uh, No, this is not a very episode. (laughs)
1: Yeah. You don't give that very often to anyone.
0: I don't think I've ever really given it to anybody on this show. Um, That's true. So I'm I'm excited to speak with Goldie, and uh, we're going to bring him on right now. Uh, the one man wrecking crew, Goldie. How we doing?
2: Hey, great, great to be here. Uh, thank you, Bryce, and thank you, uh, Pizza Man, Aaron, uh, for 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 having me. Uh, I'm I'm actually I'll take the, all the compliments on behalf of Fireblocks. I will say that it's it's obviously. Um, all thanks to my team. Actually, no, that's wrong. I'll tell you more. We've just joined Fireblocks in the last seven months for an acquisition. But uh, I totally agree with you. It's one of the uh, best companies, definitely in Israel, and I think in the crypto space altogether. Right now, about 560 employees. Mm. Uh, So thank you for being a longtime uh, supporter.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And you guys have just done everything right. You guys come from, uh, you know, a, a security background, and it's not one of those sort of companies that moves fast and breaks things. Uh, and that's especially the kind of company you want, who is, you know, manning, if you will, uh, the private keys and the cryptocurrency security. But before we get into what Fireblocks does and all that good stuff, I, I actually I, I didn't know about this acquisition. That that's how you came to be. So tell us what you were building prior to working at Fireblocks and what the acquisition kind of looked like?
2: Right. So, uh, Great question. I mean, look, I think that maybe it's, it's important to understand my, my personal background is not necessarily, well, no one's background is really crypto because it's crypto revenue, new, right? Before Fireblocks, I spent about four and a half years actually in a crypto company called First Digital. And we were doing payments in on digital assets. Uh, we were actually one of the companies behind Facebook's or Meta's DM project, if you remember that, uh, that amazing stablecoin coin that never saw the light of day. And we were one of the companies that actually were working on the tech of that and working with other great companies in the space to do payments. And luckily enough, in February of this year, we got acquired by Fireblocks, uh, which has been Nothing short of amazing. Uh, again, I don't want to speak too many praises on behalf of the company that I work for, but I really feel like we're 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 honored to be here. And I'm th- this was a very big journey for us. So I know this is a crypto podcast and not maybe a entrepreneurial journey podcast, but having as you guys are know as well because you run crypto businesses, running a business in crypto. Is you know every year is like seven years in a number business, right? And and we ran yes. our business for for about four and a half years, uh, and we started it in 2017, right? So I was I was very fortunate to to have great co founders with me, and we we raised 21 million dollars of seed funding in 2017, uh, right? Where there was you know I remember when we raised funds, Bitcoin was a 2500, I think, uh, and by the time that we really started a company, it was already it was probably like 10K. That was the time that everyone thought, okay, you know, everyone has to buy Bitcoin. You would go in a cab, a cab driver would talk to you about Bitcoin, right? <laughs> and, and basically, it was easy raising funds. Like, you, you, you didn't have to be a genius to make money out of crypto back then, but we were growing super fast. We became, um, within, I think, six months from two people to about 70 people, we were profitable. Everything was amazing. Then the wind crypto winter came and, you know, 2018, uh, and it became a bit colder in 2019 to, to some extent. Uh, and we had to let go of 63 people, which is like 90% of the company. Wow. And we said, yeah, this, this is my first rodeo. Happy to talk about my background later, but I was, I, I was under the, let's say, um, impression that obviously if I want to continue this company and I'm a big believer in blockchain and in finance. Uh, we need cash, right? And if you need cash and you're not profitable anymore, then you need to stop burning cash. And we've let go of 63 people, 90% of the company went through like a really focused exercise, really nailed what we believe is the next big use case in crypto, which is payments. And we were very lucky to work with Facebook and other large companies back then when they had the, uh, the DM project like you know Uber and Shopify and Spotify and Checkout.com and all those companies. Uh, and by the time we've set up our product, it was, I think it was, an, again, another, it was like DeFi summer and you know COVID and a finance bubble and a blockchain uh, hype and everything together. And we were very lucky to be at that crossroad. And we, you know, after raising $21 million, being profitable, crypto winter, selling, firing 90% of your workforce, then reigniting the company, uh, getting to this place where suddenly we got five acquisition offers. And for me, choosing Fireblocks was a no brainer because I personally know the founders for more than 20 years. We spent uh, more than five years together in intelligence forces here in Israel. And I was also, uh, we were also Fireblock's first client and design partner. So I know the team, I know the DNA it was a perfect fit. And that's how the acquisition eventually came to be. Sorry if that was a long answer for that question.
1: No, that's an amazing story. And you're right, entrepreneurship and crypto do go hand in hand. And it's amazing to see things really just kind of gel together. Uh, while you were customer number one, I think I was customer number 13 at Fireblock's. And it's been amazing to see them grow. And if you're listening to this episode and you've never heard of Fireblocks, they're an institutional grade custodian, similar to an Anchorage or a Coinbase custody that's really working with large institutions, hedge funds, banks, venture capital groups, and solving the problem of not just custody, but transactions. And that was what I loved most about Fireblocks is it took that absolute terror of making a transaction with a large amount of money out of the equation. Because before Fireblocks, you know, you're copying and pasting an address. You're praying it was never mistyped. You're praying you highlighted the entire thing. You're hoping that you don't have some kind of malware that's immediately going to switch that address right as you hit send but by having a whitelisted system and a very proprietary way of two-factor authentication for every transaction, suddenly it made transacting crypto safe. And it was like, oh my God, I can finally do business. But what is it going to take for the rest of the world to be able to transact crypto safely for their payments? What are some of the things you guys are building at Fireblocks now to enable this, not just for big institutions and banks, but for everyone? Mm,
0: that's a good question. Right. Yeah,
2: it's it's a very, very broad question. And, and I think there's no, you know, there's obviously not no one answer to this, but I feel we I probably share the same vision as you guys have that, you know, if we live, if we go 20, 30 years in the future, everyone, every business, every individual would probably be running their financials over digital rails. And it doesn't matter if you are a bank or you're a fintech app or, and and you probably won't even think about like, where is my money? Is it on the blockchain or not? Like your bank account would run on this, right? Your whatever favorite app to transfer funds between friends would run on this, right? The, the real question is to me, how do we in Fireblocks build the best platform and infrastructure so that every business in the future once they slowly realize and mature to that point could run their business on fireblocks and and I'll I'll try to explain this maybe a bit better I think I think we're still missing a lot of enablers in our space right and and again I'm not going to say the obvious which is you know poor UI poor user experience fine yeah you know that guess what it's not going to get solved anywhere in the next you know I don't know 2 years because it doesn't need to, to get itself that way. I'm not sure that a better, nicer iPhone app would make it easier for people. There are great apps in crypto, right? Very comfortable apps. Uh, Zengo as a private wallet, by the way, like I love that that wallet. But look, I think that I'll give you an example. This as soon as we have on-chain identity, for instance, you unlock billions of users. Who a lot of countries are not allowing them to participate in this because the businesses can't really rely on their virtual identity that is not attested by anyone, right? And we already have on chain identity projects running, which is, are very cool projects like Verity by Circle and Coinbase or uh, Shift, another great company, or I think Hedera Hashgraph are also running their own on chain identity projects. So th- this is one enabler. Another enabler is. I I believe it's stable coins, right? I I think that we've seen this with USDC and now maybe Eurocoin, maybe that would replicate that success. But but the matter of fact is no one cares about USDC or Eurocoin. And I'm not saying that because it's a bad product, not at all. I'm saying this is it's an amazing product. I think Circle is an amazing company as well for for running that. But I think that that is a patch between today. And until the the moment that financial institutions that you normally interact with will also introduce stable coins, I, I can tell you that Fireblock is currently working with more than twenty financial institutions worldwide to issue stable coins and and for the, those could be banks or or other fintechs. But the best example would be in Brazil. The government decided, you know what, CBDC, that's not really going anywhere. How about we put a framework for stable coins and have the banks issue stable coins? And they did that. And now every bank in Brazil is running to issue a stable coin, which would be interoperable, by the way, because it was a framework by the government between all the banks. But maybe in Brazil, in two years, everyone would be running on digital rails. That's exciting. That would be. I believe a huge enabler, alongside other enablers uh, like on-chain and other things, uh, for for bigger and better adoption. And and again, I'll say just the final sentence: the moment people obviously wouldn't have to give this second thought is the moment that we know it has been mainstream, right?
0: Yeah, once it kind of becomes like just oxygen, you know, it's just it's just there. You don't think about it. It's just part and parcel of of everyday sort of uh, transactions and and it's kind of, you know, interesting because the the world really will moving all of its, you know, in, uh sort of industries of value digitally, right? Like we already had music and media that was digitized and that kind of got, you know, rid of the monopolies with the the big, you know, media companies, the record companies, uh the telecoms, all that kind of stuff. And now what we're seeing is you know a very similar sort of transition here, where you know now the physical banks and the physical uh, producers of cash and stuff are now going to get supplanted by um by you know these digital decentralized banks. and so do you, do you think like you know tell me a little bit about you know how much uh, you think that this is going to you know kind of impact us? because I you know I saw recently that even in Israel, it's like they're trying to get folks to not use cash at all. Uh, there was some, you know, thing was like, we're going to limit the amount of cash you could physically use to some, you know, small number. Is this transition like happening before our very eyes? So it's interesting that in the last year,
2: just when maybe even, I don't know, I don't know if it was like coordinated by them, but just as the crash of crypto really started and and got momentum, it's like at that for some reason, at that point, a lot of banks have started to feel, I would say, more uh, ready to get on this adventure. And I don't think, obviously, it's not really related to the crash, but it's more related to a lot of other things that, that did happen. And I think it really relates to to what COVID created, right? The lack of, of need for us to use cash due to COVID and e-payments and everything, that really drove, I think, a lot of those financial institutions to start thinking of this uh and if you would tell me a year ago that we would be working with twenty banks to issue stable coins and create other source of products, I will tell you you're crazy because because let's well let's be honest here you've been in crypto for a long time uh in twenty seventeen we said institutions are coming in twenty eighteen we said no now they're really coming in twenty you know nineteen and twenty yeah. year after year. 2021 after year. <laughs> we said they're coming and you know they never showed up right we have like fidelity we thought okay after fidelity everyone's going to show right but but no one showed and let's just we just need to face it that this is going to take a long time but it is happening uh you know j- right now in front of our eyes but it will it will take time that, what's interesting to me the question i'm asking uh a lot of the times is would banks that are not adopting this right now or in the next two, three years, will they become extinct? Is this like an extinction, extinction event, like, you know, dinosaur extinction event for banks that either you jump on this wagon or you you literally lose all your clients because you're not connected to this new payment system or you're not allowing 24-7 transactions and all the amazing
0: features blockchain yeah. will allow you or not? That's a question I'm thinking about economically. I think that's exactly the the right question. is that you know banks are going to be forced to adapt. You know, it's like adapt or die, um just in the same way that, like you know once net you know Netflix first started out and they were just mailing DVDs, you know, to people, and then the internet happened, and YouTube happened, and they were like, oh my gosh, now people could just stream things immediately. So we need to adapt or die right? We need to make sure that we have, you know, all the APIs and the WebSockets enabled so that we could get, you know, 4K video. They have all their CDNs like directly into the house with like low latency. And so it's like, that's maybe not a huge, you know, capital expenditure they wanted to undergo at the time, but they were forced to. And I think banks around the world are are going to be faced with the same thing because they will be, you know, having their lunch money (laughs) taken by the Coinbase's and the FTX's and the Binance's of the world, and then they're going to say, "Okay, well, well, we got to do this." But what what I am kind of you know picking up a little bit from at least our conversation here is that it might be some of the the developing worlds uh, to take action quicker, at least on the the governmental level and the the institutional level. Like I'm hearing, you know, you you drop, you know, Bank of uh, you know Brazil, twenty of these banks more in developing worlds. That might be a little bit more appetized, if you will, for this kind of technology. Not, you know, it's, you know, I don't know why it might be. It's maybe because the 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 first world, like the the West, right, really is the incumbent. They don't want to be disrupted. Hey, if you're if you're in charge, why do you want to have, you know, a, a disruptive force here? So do you kind of see it unfolding like that, whereby? you know, some of the, the, the developing world will kind of glob onto this technology a little bit more and it's going to spread that way. And then eventually kind of the Western banks are going to be open to it. hundred percent.
2: I mean, uh, again, I think that we've seen this in telecommunications, right? Countries uh, have skipped landlines and jumped to mobile. Uh, some countries have skipped desktop computers and, you know, j- just jumped to smartphones. or or phablets, or when when, when that happened, right? So I really look at that as the same thing that will just happen in financial infrastructure, which is eventually the next step right now is blockchain. And if, I don't know how many people know that, but in Brazil, up until two years ago, and and it still happens now, but this was like, in two years ago, this was 100% of the cases. If you would order something from Amazon, then... You would go on Amazon. You would complete your purchase. You would get a slip, and you would go with that slip to like a Seven Eleven, and you would pay with that slip. And only once that happened, Amazon would get notified that you have paid for the product because no one had a credit card, right? And then they would ship you the product, right? Wow. And that, that's just so surreal for us in the <laughs> West, right? What do you mean, like, I, but I just click pay now? What do you mean, right? And and now they they're doing they've created a stable coin infrastructure and within two years, the country would run on stable coins, right? So they're skipping cards, they're skipping, I don't know, like even PSD2 and bank to bank transfers, right? Like they're skipping all of that and they're going to jump to amazing financial rates. And I think that's going to happen in a lot of countries because they have more motivation right now. They, they're, they're, let's call that their tech debt in terms of financial infrastructure is just so big. It just yeah. makes no sense to move to whatever we use today, right? I don't know if you know what you use today in your bank. I can tell you that every, not every, uh, most banks that I get to meet with, uh, they, they tell us, you have to help us. We are running on mainframes from the 60s. Oh, yeah. The reason that your funds are transferred within two, three days, part of, a major part of that is that Those systems that are so antique that we literally have someone who we're grateful that he's still alive, that he can come and fix bugs for us every six months.
0: I was just going to say, I was speaking in Cleveland at this conference called Blockland, and there was, you know, dozens of these banks, right? And, you know, (laughs) they told me, they're like, by the way, uh, we are still running COBOL. And he goes. <laughs> he goes. We are in a serious problem. And again, not like an age discriminatory thing, but they were like our developers that know COBOL are aging out of the workforce because COBOL is such an old archaic language from you know the the late 70s early 80s it's like basic right like now nobody teaches that in school like you literally got to go back and find a library book that teaches you this stuff and so it's a big problem you gotta gotta
2: have a time machine you need a time (laughs) machine you go back in time you learn cobalt it's a whole thing right you can not just do that
0: And, and what's what's interesting is that you know we are now getting to the point where they're going to have to retire those sort of systems, and there's now a, a ripe opportunity for new technology. Let's take the quantum shift. We're going to go from COBOL to blank, right? I mean, you're you, how, how do we finish that sentence? We're going to go from COBOL to blank.
2: No, I agree with you altogether, and, and I think again, just going back to what I, what I said before, I think it's just easier for them because. Mostly those uh, developing countries. Uh, they're more, let's say, in the West, we've built such complicated frameworks, even from a legal perspective and from a regulatory perspective, that for us to introduce new payment systems, it's an it's a pain. And 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 blockchain is this new payment system for transfer of value for a lot of different things, but it's a it's it's a pain. And and for for in developing countries, it's just a a smoother process in a lot of different ways, right? And they also, they're more keen to, if you remember, if you guys remember back in 2017, 18, the first countries that offered licenses in crypto for crypto businesses were Gibraltar and Malta. And I I don't recall the third country. I think it was either something in the Caymans or Bahamas, but it was, it was countries that, you know, they need companies to come in, set up base, pay taxes, and, and, you know, create more GDP essentially in this country. And what's better than make sure we're first in line for, for offering licenses. Right, But obviously, eventually everyone had to go and do the MTL licenses or bit licenses uh, for crypto in the U.S, or uh, whatever licenses like e-Money, et etc., financial institutions in Europe or Singapore. but But those kinds of people were so quick to respond because they can. Right, they can create a new framework for that. They can introduce new bills quickly without the House, the Senate, you know, the Hill, everything. Like, I'm sorry, I'm from Israel. I don't understand how you do that. But, but what I'm saying is, it's just easier for them. Um, and and hopefully, they will be our, you know, our flashlight on on showing how it's how it's done and how implement those. And the West will learn from that, and over time, we will adopt that as well.
1: That's so fascinating. So in this growing industry of Stable coins, whether it's USDC over like eight different blockchains or bank specific stable coins over the quant network or something, or something completely brand new. There was once a pesky little guy named Bitcoin who was supposed to solve all this. What is the end game for Bitcoin in the light of all these other directions?
2: That that is a question that I definitely have a view on, but it constantly fascinates me as well. I think.
1: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
2: I'll say something that's very unpopular. I think Bitcoin is actually, has, has done its job, really. Um, that being said, it will never go away. <laughs> now, I don't see how it goes away anymore. The reason I'm saying it's done its job is that, you know, when our good friend Satoshi released that white paper, of a peer to peer system and wrote very elegantly 11 pages and by the way if everyone's listening and you haven't read that white paper trust me it's it's an e- i wouldn't say it's easy reading material but putting aside the mathematical uh formulas uh then it, it, it's an easy material to read so read it but w- when when he put that out he or she no one even even knows then it was a very elegant peer-to-peer payment system that solved some, you know, the double spending issues and how we were doing this decentralized way. And that was amazing. That was literally a moment in time that we will look back probably a hundred years from now and say, you know, thank you. That was like the real wheel reinvented, bread sliced, whatever. But and then, you know, and then Ethereum came and I, I believe. You know, upgraded that and smart contracts, and having the ability to constantly run a machine worldwide. That's on a contract that is decentralized. And then greed came, and ICOs, and and a lot of it, like humanity found out about blockchain, right? <laughs> and, and and all that happened, and all that happened. But uh, and I think that now there are just far more, I believe, advanced systems than Bitcoin. That being said. Over the period of the last, you know, um, 12 years, probably 12, 13 years, Bitcoin has has taken a role of like this index of the industry, if you will. Or and you know, I've been told by people younger than me who call me a boomer that it is digital gold. And I know younger people than them that say they are boomers. That, that That say, well, you know bitcoin is is dead. It's all about Dogecoin right now. but but what I'm saying is I think bitcoin's role right now in our lives is 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 more um, again, an index or 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 something that, that that you know that that tells us where the industry is right now. Uh, and i I will tell you personally, and obviously this is not an investment advice. I think it's it's an amazing platform. It's an amazing system. Bitcoin's an amazing blockchain as well. Obviously, uh, with with Lightning, there's a lot of amazing things you can do with that. I still believe there are other better blockchains. Am I uh, a hodler of Bitcoin and will accumulate every time uh, I think uh, there's a dip as declared by the uh, president of, uh I forgot the name of the country, that El every time there's a dip, he buys more. El Salvador, thank you. Yeah. Uh, yes, I will buy that dip. Probably because I do love Bitcoin. I do believe in Bitcoin. I do think that that you know the upside is of this entire industry is, is is ahead of us, right? Not yeah. just Bitcoin, but that being said, I think its role in the world is maybe done. I know that Jack Dorsey doesn't agree, and he's a smarter fellow, so listen to him.
0: Yeah, no, there, there's obviously there's there's lots of opinions and we're in the middle of it right now. And who knows how the war is going to end, how the battle will end. And I think that, you know, that's what just makes this just the most exciting time to to be in roles like we both have, you know, being able to talk to industry experts, see you know what the consensus is. And I think really one of the consensuses that I've picked up on is that, um, you know, Bitcoin is the largest in terms of market cap. It is the largest in terms of brand recognition, maybe even security some might say just in terms of the hashing power directed behind it and all that stuff, but its very role as the number one already is it's its growth potential is limited. So people say, "Oh well, you know, it's, you know, I'm not going to buy that for my 100x gain anymore. I need to buy something smaller cap, something newer." and at the, end, at the same time that sort of mentality is reinforced because bitcoin's very 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 slow to upgrade its network it has kind of archaic cryptography compared to some of the you know the zero knowledge cryptography that's coming out the privacy preserving aspects the smart contracting all that kind of stuff like doesn't necessarily exist on bitcoin so people say well maybe it's reached its potential you know maybe right and there's other opportunities out there there's newer technology and so it's going to be interesting to see because of course there's the bitcoin maxi camp that just scoffs and we've had plenty of those folks on the on the podcast before and they're very interesting but they come from a different world right they come from a world of you know austrian economics is what what they call it basically just saying that all the problems in the world uh, are attributable to, you know, Keynesian economics and inflationary monetary supply and governments that could, you know, finance themselves at the, you know, kind of the expense of of the people through the Federal Reserve and all this kind of stuff borrowing from future generations and they say, you don't get it, Bryce, you're thinking too small. This isn't about the technology. Come on. This is about the ethos and the philosophy behind new money. What do you say to those guys? <laughs>
2: You know, I, I I'm I root for them. I I would I would tell them. You know, I don't know if I'm right or wrong. I'm I'm a Ray Dalio fan.
0: Okay? Ray Dalio, and, okay, yeah,
2: and and I'll, and Ray Dalio has this very interesting theory uh, of you know how the world works and and empires rise and fall and large cycles, etc. And and if you if you've never read or seen uh, any. YouTube clips of Ray Dalio. Uh, look at one, the New World Order. It's actually a very interesting one. It's not that new anymore. It's things like a year old. And and he shows how over the last you know two thousand years uh, we've had empires that come and go, and the empires come and go because there's this build cycle where they create uh, efficient economic. Incentives for the uh, for their population, and they invest in education, and they invest in workforce, and slowly that empire becomes one who has the the world reserve cur- currency. Whoever, by the way, that is actual silver coins or the Dutch a few hundred years ago, or after that the pound, or, and now the dollar. Right. So he shows how that that comes and goes, and how empires rise and fall. And how they usually overstretch, uh, and that causes their failures. And I tried in the last, um, I guess in the last few weeks, I've listened to that again and again. I've tried to understand what's Bitcoin's role in that, right? Does that break that cycle of debt and everything? Like, will humanity actually, exactly like you said, Bryce, would humanity finally adopt a system that's non inflationary? And has a finite number of, of, you know, of tokens in it for its economics, et cetera. And my conclusion, and maybe maybe I'm not optimistic enough about the human race, is that, that it's, it's not gonna happen so quickly because there are so many, like the world runs on money. There are so many economical motivations, incentives for people, for governments, for countries, for individuals, for entities, for every for everything. That I find it very hard to see how that new type of money comes in and we replace everything and that just fixes everything. I just find that hard to believe it will happen because I think humanity's uh, nature that over the past thousands of years have just been not replaying itself, but you know, rhyme, history rhymes, right? So just doing the same things over and over. I fail to see how Bitcoin fixes that. You know, maybe a very good shrink. For the entire human race could fix that, but that, you know that failed right now. But I, it doesn't mean that I don't believe in Bitcoin. I still believe that Bitcoin is something that every new person coming into crypto, you know, I would tell every friend, you know, you should go open a wallet, buy Bitcoin. It's the best currency to start with. You will understand how crypto works. You will be amazed after you do your first transfer, and and like you and that is the best maybe that's its role and and again this is why it will become an indice over years because billions will will get into this industry and they'll, they'll buy crypto but I don't buy the maximum period unfortunately I hope you don't get thrown uh nasty emails after being a podcast and say that. No, god not-
1: that's okay we, we we get it just for talking about more than Bitcoin on this show but we don't care. Um, you know, I, why it's called crypto clutter.
0: 101 and not Bitcoin 101. We think exactly. this is a lot bigger than just you know one blockchain.
1: It is, it absolutely is. Now, of all the clutter on my desk, I don't have a crystal ball, but you know, you mentioned you know history often rhymes, and I think the next note that Bitcoin's going to play in its dialogue uh, is going to be a store of energy. It originally was supposed to be electronic cash, but it's too slow to do that these days. And then it was supposed to be a store of value, but we see that even in inflationary conditions, it's still not holding or increasing its value. So that narrative is out the window. But being here in Texas, the energy capital of North America, I've been able to see some things and talk to some people that have a different take on it. And there's conventions now just about putting more Bitcoin mining here in Texas just as a way of absorbing all the excess energy that's created here. Because there's not enough batteries. So people are trying to hook up mining rigs to natural gas plumes and fracking wells, just to say, well, if I don't have someone to sell this energy to, we can at least convert it into Bitcoin and then we can sell the Bitcoin. And you know, we just saw our very, very first experiment in a stable coin backed by Bitcoin, where you know, everyone wants, you know, some kind of money but it needs to be backed by something. We don't want a piece of paper that's not backed by gold or a military or a planet made out of diamond, something. So I think we could potentially see more stable coins that are backed by Bitcoin in the future as Bitcoin does stabilize itself potentially as an index of the industry as a more tightly correlated price towards the cost to produce it. And it acts as a storage of energy. What do you think about that potential narrative?
2: I actually think that's fascinating. Uh, The first question, obviously, is why don't you connect your surplus of energy to California's lack of energy? Because I've heard people are going to be using bicycles instead of their electric cars.
1: Uh, It's all politics over there. It's not that it can't be connected. It's just the contracts that would allow that um, have been messed up for decades. Okay.
2: Okay. Right. I, I, I'm not, yeah, I don't understand a lot about American politics, uh, fortunately, but, but let me, you know, I can try to use my, my crystal ball, right?
0: Um, <laughs> I, 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 I think, That's an awesome looking crystal ball for everybody I, I, who's not watching on YouTube, but just listening, they can't see that he just turned himself into a crystal ball.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I try to stay, to stay, uh, to stay hip. And do uh you know what, what the kids do uh, and obviously uh, it's not just one trick that I have out of my hat here, uh, but you know, don't think I'm an alien or something. So again, let's go back to to the podcast. Uh, what what I'm what I'm saying is that your take on would Bitcoin be a store of energy? it's actually interesting because if that is true, then that wouldn't that cause a lot of other countries to try to do the same experiment, and would create like a ton of hash power, and actually, I'm just trying to think out loud. Would actually reduce the the incentives for the entire Bitcoin mining, you know, uh, participants, and that maybe would would just hurt that cause. I don't know. That's that's something I need to ponder about. That's actually a, an interesting point
1: you made there, Aaron. Well the thing is most places are importers of energy and like California Europe especially right now and California is an importer Europe is a huge importer and they're they're starving for more of that energy but there aren't the rails to really deliver that or the political agreements to deliver that in an efficient way across the world Texas just happens to be one of these surplus places that has flares burning 24/7 polluting the atmosphere because there's nothing connected to the the other end of this gas line. But you could connect that to a motor that powers all kinds of Bitcoin miners and that creates another revenue and cleans up the environment. Same goes for Russia and many other places in Asia that are big producers, but just don't have the rails or the political ties to efficiently make sure that every little kilowatt of electricity is used properly. There's just a tremendous amount of waste. And I think Bitcoin mining could at least be a stopgap measure for that until the next narrative comes along.
2: No, that's interesting. And, and I have to say for a minute there, it sounded like an Adam Newman company, but it doesn't mean <laughs> it's a bad thing. But, but I have good ideas,
1: I, just I poor execution.
0: <laughs> Man, no, this is good stuff. Uh, Goldie, you know, we only have a few minutes left and I want to make sure that we cover uh, some of the key points here about fireblocks as they as they move into the the new realm. Right. What What's on your roadmap? What are you guys pushing for? What's the big idea over the course of the next year or so?
2: Right. So so there's four things that we're focusing on on fireblocks. Let's say in the next year or so. And again, just to remind you, we're really thinking ourselves as how are we becoming the platform, the infrastructure, the OS for everything that wants to run on digital assets. Doesn't matter what kind of business you are. Um, and you know, I guess the best comparison for that would be, um, I don't know, maybe I don't want to sound too antique, but maybe SAP or or any other okay. system that is really just everywhere. Right. And, and it just runs the infrastructure that you work with. But in the next year, I think we're highly focused on, I would say, four segments. Really, the first one is our you know bread and butter, which are the crypto natives. Everyone who's doing anything that's a treasury use case, a trading, trading use case. Those are, you know, that's where we came from. Those are the that's the industry that we feel probably most uh, connected and affiliated with. There's a lot of things that we can improve in our product. Still, it exists for four years. Yes, you guys said you love it. That's that's amazing. But as you also know, crypto doesn't stop. And you need to continue and evolve and improve. And there's a lot for us to do there. The second segment that we're focusing on is, is Web3. Uh, and I, let's say I'll include Web3 and DeFi in that. There's a surge that I don't think it's a hype. I think decentralized Companies or Web3 companies are, and, and definitely DeFi. I think it's so innovative that it's even hard for us to capture how innovative it is most of the time. Um, and I think it's it it makes sense for us as Fireblocks to invest in that. And by the way, I can t- just being honest, I don't think that would bring as a company. Obviously, we are for profit. I don't think Web3 and DeFi in the next two years will bring the same type of revenue we have from other segments, but I think it's worth investing. And I think everyone in the company believes in that as well. And the other two segments, That's is, good to hear. one is is one is TradFi, uh, which is, again, the banks are waking up, they're coming to us, and, and we want to be there uh, for them to take them to the next step. It's not easy work to work with a bank. Uh, luckily, the company... You know it's interesting because if if twenty banks would come to us three years ago when we were I don't know how much how many like thirty people we wouldn't be able to do that now that we're almost six hundred people and we're an eight billion dollar company and we have a lot of resources yes we can do that with banks with you know we' we uh, as you know bank New York Mellon uh, invested in Fireblocks and and planning to launch this and a lot of others yeah. and and we're working with them and mostly focusing on tokenization, by the way, which is good because banks used to come to crypto companies and would say, explain to me this technology. What can I do with that? Now they already know what they want, okay, which is a good change. And the last but not least is payments, and which, which is what I lead. And this is working with uh, companies like Stripe, like Checkout.com or WorldPay. And and again, PSPs, that's the type of companies we're looking for. And we've already declared some great partnerships. And we want to make sure that there's 175,000 payment companies in the world. They help you today move money from uh, one pocket to another, whether if you're paying to a merchant offline or online, or it's a B2B or invoice payments or whatever, you're using a payment company, one of those 175,000 companies worldwide. We want those companies to continue to do whatever they're doing best, but just run that on digital rails. And we're here to give you an engine to, to do that. So that's those are like our four focus areas. I, I imagine our CEO, if you've ever met him, uh, has probably like 10 other focus areas he wants to do, Michael Shalov, but we've forced him to choose four. Uh, and hopefully if we do another interview a year from now, I'll tell you if you know
1: if that worked or not and what's the next focus. We would love to have you back on another year, Goldie. Um, but we're gonna I let say you six go months. F- six months even. Anytime you want to come back, happy to have a conversation, on or off the record. Uh, just a couple more questions before we let you get back to building the future. You know who's one person in the space that really inspires you to do what you do, to not have a life, to give everything you have to fireblocks and crypto and the future of finance.
2: You're, well, there's you. You might make fun of that, but in this space, one of my favorite people is actually Mike Novogratz. Uh, Mike I Mike Novogratz, I don't know all
1: right.
2: It, it's surprising because you know my favorite person, Mike Novogratz, might not have every i might not love every attribute about him but if you've ever uh, got to know his story growing up in this you know seven seven uh siblings family uh like mom uh that uh, he laughs about it like uh i gave him some um some tough love And a dad who was in the army, and out of that, all the brothers help and sisters help each other, you know, to grow and to evolve and to become these entrepreneurs and did amazing stuff. And and he he literally drips of greed, right? Like he doesn't stop. The guy is a billionaire. Just go to the beach, have a beer, take some time off. No, he starts galaxy, right? So, and he lectures everyone in the world about how crypto is amazing. And I think that is, that keeps me going. I'm like, okay, if Mike doesn't stop, I can't stop.
0: And we all we all need to have, uh, you know, role models and, and influencers sort of in our personal life like that. So yeah, Mike Novograt's a huge, huge figurehead in the space, uh, also notorious for getting Luna tattooed on his body just months before the uh, the unwind and the crash. But hey, he owned it. I-, I saw him tweet about it. He said, this was a lesson for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Never get
2: drunk and go to a tattoo parlor, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Goldie, before we let you go, one other company in the crypto space, outside of Fireblocks, or you could say maybe outside of anybody that you've got affiliations with, what's one other company that you think is having a fantastic impact on the future of finance here?
2: That, that That's tough because I I'm, I always, you know, I, I get to ask that question from time to time, even sometimes by VCs who ask me, like, what do you see? What are the most interesting companies in this space? Yeah. I think one company that is doing great work, but I wanted to succeed more. And I'm not affiliated with that at, at, at all, but I did say their name earlier is Zango. I know you guys are affiliated with them, but, but I think they're doing great work. And I think that... They, I wish they would succeed even more than what they are right now, because I think uh, they're helping users t- to get on board. And I think, you know, it would make you, uh, it would make you laugh, but I-, I think the other company is actually a Fireblocks competitor, and that company is is Gnosis. Uh, Gnosis uh-huh. Safe, their product. Um, so I think, you know, if Fireblocks is more of this type of. You know, you want to build a res- like Robinhood runs on Fireblocks, Revolut runs on Fireblocks, great. But if you're just maybe starting, like uh, to play around with an app, and you want to have like this open source, very quick, down and dirty. I want to see how custody really works. I want to build something on this. On this, and that, maybe I don't want to call Fireblocks right now and get a sales quote, right? Maybe, uh, maybe that. Then I I want to go and I want to test it, and I can do that with mouse and I think that's great. I think. They're doing way better every every day, and uh, and we we actually cheer for them. So Because it helps us. People use them, come to us as they mature. We love
0: it. <laughs> yeah, the Gnosis Safe. Uh, I know that they've got some really interesting technology. Uh, ticker symbol GNO, if you guys want to check that one out on CoinMarketCap or whatever. if They've been around for a long time, so that's a throwback. Uh, and it's good to hear that they're still actively developing And not only developing, but developing something that sounds pretty compelling. So, uh, Goldie, thank you so much for your time, for staying up late for us. I know you're over in a completely different time zone. So we're going to let you uh, wrap things up at the office. And, uh, again, just can't thank you enough and hope to have you back on soon.
2: I had a great time. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Bryce. Hope to see you guys again and hopefully in real
0: life. Yes, that'd be great. That'd be great. Take care.